HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Listening to Let's Eat In on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. We're here at Roberta's. It is now a crisp fall Monday. All of a sudden, it's October, I guess. Why not? I'm joined today by a veteran of the food, craft, artisanal, whatever ordering, whatever words you want to use out there um, that has become so uh, associated with Brooklyn. His name is Rick Field. And if you're from Brooklyn, the word Rick generally. You know, you get associated with uh, the next word I, I would think of for the next word, pickles, because he's the founder of Rick's Picks NYC. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. It really is. Cool. So you started this company in 2004. This was like way before all, all the uh, other pickle folks, uh, or not way before maybe, but... Right. Um, it, feels yeah. like, it feels like a long time. If somebody yeah. had said in seven years I'd become the old fart of artisan pickles, uh, you know, I would, <laughs> I would be surprised. But um, no, I, uh, I started my business in 2004 after um, a period of seven years of just kind of doing pickles for fun. It was sort of the way I always think of it as a creeping evolution. You know, mm. I, I didn't necessarily want to start a pickle company when I started messing around with recipes. I just mm. wanted to kind of tap back into something that had been really fun for me as a kid, which was making pickles with my family in the summertime. And that's where it started. Um, very traditional, um, uncomplex recipes that had been etched in time and space for, for decades. And hey, I'm looking at some smokra right here, and I know you make a wasabi-flavored beans and all this other interesting flavors. Yeah. Well, that's what happened was I started with these simple templates, you know, dill pickles, mm-hmm. pickled string beans, and, you know, kind of messed with messed with the formulas and, and built out actually about 20 different recipes. Um, and then when it was time to start Rick's Picks, kind of winnowed those down to about 10. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I guess that happens when you pickle a lot. And you just 
have yeah. to do it differently each time. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there were a couple of things that um, that made it real for me. Well, one was winning a pickle contest. Mm-hmm. Another was when um, I got my little black book and actually started writing down notes about what I was doing each time. Because, you know, one of the things that's fun about pickling is it's, it's kind of an irreverent process. A little bit of this this time, a little bit of this this mm-hmm. time. You know, you can kind of mess with, not with the processing part of it, yeah. but, but with the recipe itself and, and, and see what what works for you um and it was very free for me at the beginning and and you know like i said i wasn't really trying to do it to start a business um but then when i got the little black book going i started really taking some serious notes on what i was doing because you know one thing you know you come to expect from yourself as you start to get better at it and you know spread the word out as you want it to be consistent yeah and that requires doing it the same way one thing i get from your pickles um not to diss any other pickles in the world but is a really powerful not powerful, but a really lovely melange of flavor rather than just a punch of salt and vinegar in your face. Uh, well said. Um, we're looking for a sort of a nuanced, what we call like a, a trajectory of flavors, mm-hmm. similar to what you have with wine. Um, if we're doing our job uh, at its best, I think uh, you, you have a kind of a series of notes that kind of crest across your palate, um, just like a nice glass of wine. Um, some pickles, some really good pickles, as you, you said, punch, I always use the analogy of a baseball bat. It's like a big, <laughs> big swing and a, um, with a big flavor, usually a uh, very salt forward. Mm. Um, and actually one of the things that I've been kind of committed to with most of what we do is finding ways to sort of usurp the, uh, the, the omnipotence of salt and sugar mm. as the drivers for a lot of what happens, particularly salt. Because um, many pickles have incredibly high salt content, and uh, folks, some folks, particularly those over 50 who were watching their blood pressure, oh, feel like yeah. they can't play in the pickle sandbox. Mm. And so what I kind of wanted to try to do was to figure out a way to make interesting, full-flavored pickles, but not have to rely on salt. And in fact, 9 out of the 12 in our sort of core repertoire now are officially FDA low sodium, so that's that's a big deal. Oh, are you going to put that on the label? Uh, they they do the new labels do indeed trumpet the mm. the low sodium uh, fact. We just actually renovated our labels to kind of highlight that. Um, the jar you're holding in your hand there is one of the older ones that doesn't do that. Okay, but um, you know low salt and also gluten free is something that's really key for a lot of folks uh, these days, and so. So you can you can eat more of them. <laughs> you can eat more of them. But the important thing to remember though is that if if I if I didn't tell you that these pickles a lot of them are low salt, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily know it. Mm. Um because again, you know, there's a lot of a lot of action with the spice, a lot of action with the herbs. Another thing that we use uh quite effectively from time to time is uh our our uh are citrus notes, lemon juice, lime juice, things like that, oh, because yeah. they serve to work on your palate and brighten flavors in the same way that salt does, but without the negative impact of sodium. Well, well done. Thank you so much. Um, so how did you get into, uh, I guess you men- mentioned that. What were you before a pickler? I was a TV guy. Okay. And I, you know, I, I went to college, uh, got an English degree, and um, wanted to t- sort of turn that, I mean, an English degree, you know, you can do nothing and you can do anything. It's like, you're practically fluent in English. Woohoo! But, hey, um, I got one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I wanted to be a, a film director. And so I came to New York and I was determined to be either the next great Sundance director or at least the next great Nike commercial director. Mm-hmm. And um, went for learning by doing. I worked in the sound department, actually. I spent a lot of time with the microphones just like these. Awesome. Um, working on movies as a boom operator, you know, the mm-hmm. guy that swings the pole. 
Um, and that was a cool way to learn about filmmaking. And then I became a producer at VH1 and worked there for a while. And then I worked for Bill Moyers at PBS. Oh, um, awesome. And be, being, I'm a big fan. Yeah, show. well, Moyers, uh, it was sort of like working for Jesus Christ in a, in a, lot, a certain way. Um, <laughs> just because he was just such an incredibly powerful guy, so charismatic. And, and had his heart and his head in the right place and had a way of expressing his opinions that was very unique. It, it really um, was hard to argue from a moral perspective with what he was saying most of the time, whether you're a conservative person or a liberal, liberal person. And um, that was a great gift. And in fact, when I lost my job uh, at Bill Moyers, um, oh. yeah, um, the show kind of consolidated its format. I was doing fringe pieces. I got to do some cool stuff on Wind Power. Got to do a 15-minute movie about Los Lobos, you know, hmm. the rock group from East L.A. Um, got to do all this cool stuff. But then the show kind of narrowed its focus when George Bush really sunk his claws into uh, uh, our culture in the early part of the OOs. Um, and, you know, I wasn't really qualified to do, like, political pieces or hmm. pieces about banks or wars. That wasn't my area. So I lost my job. And at that point, you know, I wasn't really going to go back to doing like the VH1 kind of stuff. So I figured, mm-hmm. hey, maybe I should start. Maybe I should take my interest in pickles and see if I can turn it into an actual business. And haven't looked back. Have you, do you have any dreams of making a pickle documentary? You know, I have a lot of I would love to do something in a longer kind of more resonant format um, about about what happens day to day, week to week. Um, there are plenty of um, like running a small business. You mean? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Things which have to do not just with um, you know sourcing um, cucumbers uh, from the right farmer at the right time of year, mm-hmm. but but you know some of the stuff that comes up around uh, you know just running a small business, whether it's an artisan food business or or anything else. Because a lot of the, a lot of the issues that you face, you know, you, you go into it, you know, with a, a kind of a fantasy of of the experiences that you've had in the kitchen and translating those into mm. something that will be a job for you and a business. Um, but the reality of it is, is that you know, I'm in the grocery industry, yeah, and that's a yeah. very you know, that's a very different thing. Emphasis on gross. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of paperwork that needs to be filled out and, you know, a lot of people that are, you know, trying to get an edge on you. And, you know, I don't kind of wake up in the morning like trying to screw other people. You know, it's <laughs> not why I, I make food. Um, <laughs> but it's amazing, you know, when your business starts to scale. Mine at this point is a national business. It's still a small business. Um, you know, we have a humble office. It's 180 square feet, five people working in it. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's a legitimate national business. And so I have to deal with all kinds of people at the other end, mostly of emails, um, you know, who I'm not going to say they don't have, you know, good souls, but they're, they're looking at, at the process very differently from, from me. And you kind of have to adjust to that. Yeah. I would, uh, totally dig a, seeing a movie about that. That sounds cool. Mm Mm-hmm. And what do you think about, um, I've heard that, um, you know, a lot of f- uh, craft food makers go into this with the same kind of, um, not so naive, but just the same kind of ideals that they want to make things the best they can from scratch and do it their own way. Um, eventually they have to up, um, scale up and perhaps move out of Brooklyn, you know, wherever the, the they're attached to. Um, and of course you've, you've, um, kind of long, dealt with these challenges and obstacles and overcome them um what do you think that you know you would say to 
um, other craft artisanal food makers who are out there and just struggling and trying to start off and make it viable? It's an excellent question um, because, you know, if you're making, you know, um, 20 tins of exquisite chocolates a month Mm -hmm. um, in the most incredibly painstaking way possible, Mm -hmm. it's highly unlikely that even if you are charging a premium for them that, you know, you're going to be able to uh, make make a living with that. Um, so I think the first thing that people need to do when they start this kind of thing is to define their goals. And, you know, I, I'm guilty here because I didn't really define mine. Mm-hmm. I, I went into it very innocently. I had a connection with the Green Market Network of, of New York City and was able to use that to, to gain a spot at Union Square in Manhattan, um, which was a huge... Um, way to begin because it's sort of like having a free infomercial in the food world every week. Mm. You know, you're standing there selling your stuff in front of all the people who either are tastemakers or bloggers or chefs or, you know, people who are very, you know, food curious. And so it was a great way to get the word out. But I think, you know, to go back to your question, which is, like I said, a very good one. Um, and that's also direct to consumer, too, rather than going through wholesale, like correct. all the other farmers there. Yeah. The point. Yeah. So you have good margin there. Um, but you need to define your goals. What does success mean to you? Do you want to um, you know, have this be something that you do full-time and earn your living from? Is it something you want to do um, you know, in passing and keep it scaled so that you can continue to have another lifestyle which either is more familiar to you or maybe more comfortable? A lot of people are, are, are curious to know the story of the guy who left the world of film and TV in the middle of his life and started a food business. Um, Many of them either um, find that kind of a scary idea or something that's not really they can really do because they have certain income requirements. You know, mm-hmm. they have a, a family or, you know, there are a lot of reasons why people either do or don't go into it. But you need to really define your goals at the beginning. And then the other thing, if you if you say, you know, I want to see, you know, how how successful I can be here. And, and turn this into a real business that I'm going to earn a living at, you need to envision success. And what does that mean? That means if you have something um, in your repertoire that's a core product that's either going to be very difficult to scale for whatever reason because mm. it's really expensive to make or the ingredients aren't available all the time or whatever the reason might be, um, that's something you have to think carefully about. And the way that my business balances that is um, – this is going to sound trite to use the yin-yang analogy, but we sort of have two pieces of the business that kind of coexist harmoniously. One side of it being the the things which um, we make in great volume, um, as many as we can um, afford to make, as many as we can plan to sell. Um, and then the other things um, which are more small batch made um, with an eye towards... Um, uh, a limited sense of seasonality and a sense of ex- exclusivity for for those who either seek us out or or, or know about it or are fans from the past. Um, both sides obviously need to kind of maintain standards of quality, ingredient sourcing method, all that stuff. But I have found it possible to to sort of blend those two ideals together and be true to both. Well, I, I that definitely makes a lot of sense because you're dealing with fresh fruits and you know the, all the all these different flavors. So mm-hmm. very cool. Thank you so much for sharing that wisdom, mm-hmm. and hopefully um, others will take note. And um, and I know you also have the the people's pick, pickles, which is the lower 
uh, price range pickles. Right, and that's one of the designed. ones that's in the category of we try to make as many of these yeah. as possible. Um, wh- what I wanted to do was to target um, a, a, a price point that was a little bit lower than the ones that um, a little bit lower than the ones we were known for initially, um, and also a bigger jar. And mm-hmm. the people's pickle was the first of three, which we now call the pickle essentials, that kind of fills oh, that niche. I see. Very cool setup. Well, I'm going to try one of these mean beans if I can open, or not, smoker, smoker. If I can open this, yeah. uh, maybe Rick will open it for yeah. me. Um, but we're also going to skip to a musical uh, interlude that Rick picked out. So we'll be with you right after this break. Let's eat in. I'm your guest, or I'm your host. Sorry, Kathy Airway. <laughs> Our guest is Rick Fields from Rick's Picks, and that was his uh, uh, song that he likes to pickle to lately. Yeah, well, lately and for a long time. Oh. That, that's Bo Jacques, who's a, a, a late great uh, band leader of a Zydeco band called Bo Jacques and the High Rollers from from New Orleans. And uh, Bo Jacques' music, in specific, and Zydeco in general, has always been a preferred. Uh, type of music for me when I'm uh, when I'm in the home home pickling uh, <laughs> mode, particularly when I'm experimenting. It sounds definitely high energy mm-hmm. and high creativity, perhaps. Yeah. yeah, well, it's it's a nice you know the 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 traditions of music from New Orleans, not just Zydeco, involve a lot of melding of ideas and and genres, and you know that's kind of one of the things that we try to do with the pickles. You know, yeah. we've got a little bit of Poland here, got a little bit of uh, Japan here, got a mm. little bit of Louisiana here. I'm talking about the Rick's Picks product line. Yeah. You know, um, and one of the things I've, I've kind of thought from the beginning is, again, not necessarily trying to create it this way, but that's just sort of how it evolved because I was always interested in a wide spectrum of food cultures, is, is to kind of capture all the different traditions that exist around the world a little bit in what we do. I mean, one of the things that makes pickling really fun is that it is so ubiquitous. You can scarcely name a single culture that has any kind of size on this, on this planet where there isn't some form of pickling or food preservation that's, that's vibrant. And it's fun to tap into them, and it's fun to reflect them back. Of course, sometimes you run into situations where... You know, somebody will say, well, your pickles are good, but they're just not as good as my grandmother's back in the mm-hmm. home country. And then, yeah. you know, what can you say? Now, what would you not pickle? Well, um, I do like to say that you can pickle anything. So yeah. I, I'm, 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 re- I'm reluctant to uh, to say no. I mean, I, I've had some, um, some misfires for sure. Uh, I made some uh, atrocious pickled eggs. 
Oh. Uh, at one point, they just were really nasty. I'm even scared my, to do that. Even my friends who were like, dude, you're, you know, come on, we'll try anything. <laughs> they were like, I brought out the pickled eggs, and they were like, dude. <laughs> um, but I, I, got, I got it right later on. Um, oh. Still don't really know yeah. what happened at the beginning. Um, what doesn't pickle well? Um, well, you know, some things that kind of, uh, you know, certain squashes and things like that mm. don't really, they, 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 that have a kind of high seed content, you know, they kind of collapse. I mean, everybody's looking for a nice crunch with pickles. Yeah. So I, I tend to stay away from squashes. I did that once with uh, yellow yeah. summer squash. Yeah. It wasn't good. Yeah, yeah. Squash, it looked nice. It looks pretty. Well, that's the other thing, too. And, and, and that's an important thing, you know, to remember about pickling is that, you know, I try to think of each jar as a work of art. Yeah. You know, they're decorative in addition to being delicious and, and try to, you know, reflect that. Um, you know, we're working on a new pickle right now. I actually brought you one to look at, the sweet and sassy pickles. Sweet and sassy pickles. Yeah, and, and there's a nice trio of color going on there. You it's got in the re- limited heirloom edition. Yeah, you got red and yellow um, uh, peppers. You've got green uh, cuc- cucumbers. Well, that's, yeah, le- that's lemon, lemon thyme. Time. But see, this is a perfect example of what we were talking about before the break because fresh lemon thyme mm. is not something that you can reliably source year-round in you know the to to the quality standards that you want yeah. fresh time you know regular time yeah lemon time nah, it's a little harder so um this pickle probably what you'll see eventually is um we'll move away from the lemon time maybe we'll go to regular time and add a bit of lemon juice to pick up on one of our other threads to kind of bring that that, that aroma peel, maybe peel yep yep that would be yes cool see? all right so switching gears a little bit because yep. it's my favorite question of the show what is your ideal romantic date meal? Mm. Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I think um, for well, you know, well, you know, it's funny because like there's a difference like in my head between like the desert island meal and oh, yeah. and the date meal. Like if it was a desert island meal, it would be my mother's roast chicken dinner uh-huh. with stuffing the way she does it and gravy, you know, the way she does it. That was actually one of the real surprises to me about getting married was to discover that in fact my wife's uh, roast chicken and her version of stuffing and her gravy were actually as good as my mom's and maybe even better who knows yeah but that would be my desert island meal but to answer your question i mean i think when it comes to date um date meals um i like that's that's a place where i like classic preparations Mm -hmm. um you know i I love exploring the world of cuisine i mean i mean it takes a long time and it's an pain to make no no no. i just mean like like a a, a, a steak with pepper sauce okay um some some oysters a steak with pepper sauce Ah. um a wedge salad Mm -hmm. incredible bottle of red wine like something like that where everything is just classic and exquisite um that's a fun date i mean one of the places that i i like to do that from time to time is raul's and in soho here in new york you know that I i know this is about eating in um but yeah we do we do um fun you know, fun steak dinners at home um, from time to time. And, and, and you know, a simple classic preparation is, is the thing that kind of puts me in the mood, I think. Mm, yeah. In the mood for love. That's a, that's a good way to kind of... It's, it says so much about a person's personality, too. It's like, I like classic pickles. I mean, I like classic uh, date meals, but your pickles are quite unconventional. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Would you put make a little, I don't know, chimichurri sauce with with one of your pickles to put on well, top of that steak. You know, you know <laughs> it's funny. I went to went to uh, went to the beach for a few days in Montauk, and there's a farmers market out there, 
and um, one of the people who was there had this really interesting um, hot sauce, which was uh, made from mint and jalapeno and lime and parsley and a few other things, but those were the four drivers. And it doesn't taste per se like a chimichurri, but it was delicious, and I've been like secretly kind of trying to figure out exactly how to make it and doing batches of it and putting it on everything. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Fresh jalapenos? Fresh there? jalapenos, lime, mint. Mm-hmm. The mint is what really kind of takes it into an unexpected direction. But I, if somebody had said lime. to me, mint mint, and jalapeno can play nicely together, I would have said, come on. Ooh, maybe but, the idea for another pickle. Yeah, or, or a relish. Or relish. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. So tell me about this event tonight at Beer Table that you're doing. Right. Tonight at Beer Table, um, my buddy Justin, who is the proprietor of Beer Table, um, uh, we, we decided we wanted to do a night of pickling. We were originally going to do a night, um, we were going to do a couple nights. Uh, we were going to do a, a plated, um, like a, a, a meal where pickles were part of every course. Uh, and then we decided we would do, um, instead we would do a night where we would teach people how to make pickles and have um, oh. suitable beer, beer pairings. For those of you who don't know, Beer Table is in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and it's got um, an incredible, ever-changing roster of beers with the kind of flavor profiles we were talking about before. Very interesting, unique. It's um, like a beer school yeah. in a tiny little yeah. cute cozy bar. Exactly. And so we're going to make um, two pickles there tonight. We're going to make smokra, our pickled okra, which we have a jar of right here. I should open it up and give it a oh, taste. Oh, yeah, let's try it. If you can open it. I can. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. There we go. So we're going to have some smokra. That has smoked peppers, right? Smoked paprika. Paprika. Mm-hmm. Yum. Oh, that's good. I love those little seeds. I love the way they pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're going to make smokra. Then we're also going to make... Um, a, a new pickle that we're messing around with, which is called, we're calling it sweet and sassy pickles right now. Mm-hmm. We originally made it a couple weeks ago as a quick pickle, meaning one that's mm-hmm. not um, put in a water bath. It's 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 just the brine is poured over it and comes to temperature and you refrigerate it. So it has a shorter shelf life. Mm-hmm. It's not pasteurized, but it has extra crunch, which is a great thing. Um, and this particular uh, pickle is sort of a cross between an Italian jardinera, like a mixed vegetable pickle with a lot of aromatics, and a bread and butter pickle which um, Sweet. has a more sweeter flavor profile. So it's got um, two kinds of bell peppers. It's got red and yellow bell peppers. It's got orange carrots. It's got green cucumbers. It's got lemon thyme and then a host of spices. It's got toasted coriander seed, which is a really interesting uh, little add. It's got um, Mustard, fennel. Mustard, pink peppercorns. Yeah. Celery seed or something, cumin seed. Oh, fennel seed. Fennel seed. Mm-hmm. And so it's so it's so taken together, um, it, it creates a nice aromatic backdrop for these vegetables. Cider vinegar has a little bit of sweetness. This one, I know I was on the soapbox earlier talking about no salt, no sugar. Mm-hmm. This one actually has a little more sugar than we're used to, mm-hmm. um, light brown sugar. But um, it certainly doesn't overwhelm or, or interfere with the other things that are going on. That's all right. Cool. Well, thank you um, so much for uh doing this it sounds like a, so it's a class inside the bar yep so you get three beers and, and make uh, it on the and, table and you learn how to make pickles what what could be more fun and than that i don't know um if this is obvious to a lot of folks listening but rick's pickles and he's you know his actual presence is so all over the place with all these great food events every single benefit he's just like there 
all the time at the green market still too you're still selling yep yeah we do yeah we do the farmers markets we do brooklyn flea we do smorgasbord we do new amsterdam market um try to try to keep our hat in the ring um with as many of the of of the things that people gravitate towards who are interested in in food culture i mean Mm -hmm. one of the things that's a challenge with that is as time goes on is remaining um keeping keeping things fresh i mean you need to continually have something new out there in order to keep your table interesting for people yeah remember there's a critic one time um who a famous food critic who i hadn't met before and i met her at a trade show and i said hi nice to meet you i thought you'd like to see what we have here and she says oh i know these they've been written about call me when you have something new (laughs) (laughs) and actually (laughs) and actually i did call her when we when we brought smoker out and we were lucky enough to get it out there oh very good. Yeah. Good follow up. Yeah. So, but do you find it difficult to be um, in so many different places while you're still making pickles at the same time? Because that can be a time, uh, you know. Because you, you, a lot of people clearly want to, and you clearly have that community spirit where you you want to share this and do classes at beer table and be at this uh, just food benefit or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It, it's yeah. it's a major it's a major challenge. Um, you know, you can you could easily get. Uh, your entire day taken up just yeah. like with paperwork and and being on this radio show. <laughs> well, this this is this is a, a pleasure. This is a welcome reprieve. Nice. Um, but um, I try to um, you know, recognize the places on a daily basis where my influence can be most strongly felt. Um, I inherited a, a bad quality from my late dad and who actually, um, it's funny because this week will mark the fifth anniversary of his passing, and it was um, the same day that Smoker came onto the market. Mm. Um, so it was a bittersweet day for sure. Um, but anyway, uh, my dad... Smoky sweet. <laughs> yeah. My dad um, really always felt like he had to do everything else or it wouldn't get done right. And you know, one of the things that I've had to learn how to do as my business has grown is to trust other people to do stuff. Yeah. Definitely. So, so delegate and and mm-hmm. choose wisely yeah. your delegees. Yeah. Delegate. Yeah. And then just you know try to figure out where you can have the most impact mm-hmm. in any in any one given moment. So, where is your what what is your next hopes and dreams for Rick's picks? Well, um, I, I'd like to see um, I'd like to see a progressive movement in 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 both of the two principal directions we talked about this the sort of the larger perspective okay. of, of products that can reach as many people as possible. And then at the same time, refining even more um, some of the stuff we do in, in tiny little yeah. batches and little increments. And, 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 and there's a, you know, a, a, there's a book that I'd like to write. I did, oh, yeah. I did do one book um, with William Sonoma with two William other Sonoma, the art of preserving. Yeah. Did it, great. did it with a couple other people. Um, but I'd like to do a book that kind of offers some life lessons about, running an artisan food business because I think that there's a real need for something like that I think a lot of people would really be happy to read a book like that hey I'm excited about that too and don't cancel out the film idea too <laughs> will, will not alright well thanks again for being here and sharing your insight that's Rick Fields check out rickspicksnyc.com and uh, thanks to Jack and everyone at Heritage Radio Network I'll see you next week Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. 
You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The Heritage Meat Shop has just opened in the Essex Street Market. Open from 9 to 7 Monday through Saturday and 10 to 6 on Sundays, the Heritage Meat Shop supports independent family farms and animal welfare approved and certified humane raising standards. Most importantly, they offer a wide variety of heritage breeds. So stop by, get a sandwich, try the charcuterie. The Heritage Meat Shop at the Essex Street Market. Every spring at the end of kidding season, goat dairies across the country are faced with the question of what to do with their male bucklings. Because on a dairy farm, there's no role for a male. Often the most economical thing for these farmers to do is to call the animals at birth or ship them off to the commodity market. Heritage Foods USA is embarking on a new project, No Goat Left Behind, looking to step in and fill this niche by creating a marketplace for these male bucklings. Visit us at www.heritagefoodsusa.com to learn more and to reserve your goat this coming October.